As I sit at my desk for the first time in my new place, I notice the nervous excitement coursing through my veins. It's as if there's a source flowing, like a life force. I'm experiencing some fear, some joy, some curiosity, and overall a feeling of unease. Pivots in our lives are so important and rarely comfortable. Taking the leap to the next version of you is tough. Moving from a familiar home, job, business, or a city is jarring. I'm feeling it right now. The thing is, at least for me, if I stay in one place for too long, I lose the newness, the deep growth and joy that can come from trying and experiencing new things, the mixture of certainty and variety, the paradox of ease and the unknown. Are you with me? There is a great amount you can learn about yourself by making changes that you know you should. And as I like to say, if you ignore the feather, a brick will hit you upside the head. If you do not get the message from the brick, here comes the Mack truck. The brick might kill you or it might not, but the Mack truck will for sure. Remember this, as Jay Amit says, pivoting is not the end of the disruption process, but the beginning of the next leg of your journey. I lived deep in the jungle of Costa Rica for over a year and a half and just moved to a gorgeous suburb outside of the capital in Costa Rica. A brilliant mixture of nature and modern amenities, I knew deep down it was time to make a move. The jungle and its magical ways will teach you a thing or two, and let me tell you, it taught me so much. I chose to spend a lot of time alone to do a deep dive into myself, to launch this podcast, and to serve many clients in a way that I had not yet, channeling the powerful force of Mother Nature into their experience. Many were served in ways they could not imagine, and neither could I. The transformations that I witnessed for them was nothing like I've ever seen before when I was living in the U.S. Some were ready for the power of it all, others simply could not stand the light or the darkness. We all truly do have both sides in us, and the powerful force of truth via nature can and will illuminate the shadows in us all. The courageous can spend that time alone facing their darkness and light. The key is to get the message, integrate it, and move on. So many of us stuck stuck in a relationship, or hooked on substances, whatever those may be, drugs, alcohol, coffee, sugar, or whatever else. Listen, we all have some level of addiction. Just sit with yourself long enough to really feel your urges, to experience your compulsions, to get what serves you and what does not. Being in the jungle taught me many great lessons. One of the biggest ones is that many people run from themselves to Costa Rica to heal. I've rarely seen one place with more people in a state of healing and doing what is called spiritual bypass. Now I get it. It's far from easy to face our dragon and sit in our shit. But I invite you to do just that. Try cutting things out just to see what happens. Your monkey mind will go nuts. The goal here is to experience your desire for some release or distraction. It is also very important to be mindful of what is called geographic healing. I, like many, have jumped from one place to another thinking it will provide some relief. Have you ever done that? I'm guessing you have, and pretty much everyone I know has. Thinking that if you just pivot, the grass will be greener. Now, keep in mind it is very important to be mindful of the fact that if the grass you are standing on is dead, it is probably going to be greener somewhere else. But not always. I see many people who are flat-out dopamine addicts and struggle with just being in one place or in one relationship or in any one thing for too long. Totally addicted to the next rush they can get, and buried in their cell phones, checking social media like a crackhead. Again, I am pointing the finger back at myself as I share this. Am I guilty of the same? 
The key here, I feel, is to check in often and get real and honest. Look, I'm not perfect and I slip up all the time, but I am looking at myself. Will you? Just get courageous and look. It might scare you what you see, but it will be worth it, I promise you. Simon Sinek nails the dopamine addiction that is rampant in our lives these days in his viral video about millennials. Because we know when you get it, you get a hit of dopamine, which feels good. It's why we like it, it's why we keep going back to it. Dopamine is the exact same chemical that makes us feel good when we smoke, when we drink, and when we gamble. In other words, it's highly, highly addictive. A lot of the reasons we turn to pivoting in our lives or geographic healing or substances is because we are seeking relief by a way of a coping mechanism. I did a much deeper dive in episode one with Don Miguel Ruiz and episode two with Gay Hendricks. Give a listen to one of those when you have some time. It goes deep into the biochemicals that run us. Now I have to check in with myself often to make sure I am not doing exactly what I'm accusing others of doing here. Am I doing the very thing that I'm outraged against? Oftentimes we are. This week, a very dear and very gay friend mentioned to me that there is some crazy high percentage of closet gay men who are beating the drum of anti-gay, mainly people in power or political roles. So I feel it is super important to always check in when I am sharing a concept or thought. Am I doing the very thing I'm outraged against? In the end, my commitment is for growth in myself and others. And even with the altruistic way of being, we must check in with our intention behind it all. Humility has a strange way of showing up sometimes. False humility is another way to frame it. Our egos want to believe we are being altruistic, but we are actually stroking our own ego. A tricky little bugger it can be, yes? Sometimes the ego can show up as a bully. We bully others, we bully ourselves. 15% of high school students grades 9 through 12 were electronically bullied in the past year. About 49% of children in grades 4 through 12 reported being bullied by other students at school at least once during the past month. This taken from StopBullying.gov. We must be mindful of how we speak to ourselves and others. Of course, we all slip up here and there and are not as nice as we could be. It happens to the best of us. The point is this. Many of the harsh things we say to ourselves create the need for our coping mechanisms. Learning to love yourself more and those around you is key. It's not the easiest of paths and much of your old conditioning will be exposed and that can hurt. Just feel it fully and allow it to be. Nowhere to go, nothing to be, nothing else to do but just feel it. Again, allow it to be. As I awoke in my bed last week, deep in the jungle, starting to feel the isolation of being out there all alone, I felt a pit in my stomach. I rarely get lonely and did not right in this instance either, but I felt alone. Do you know the feeling? Can you experience the difference? The difference between being alone and being lonely. Feeling lonely feels like an almost addictive need for human connection, a way to distract from our feelings. Feeling alone is more like a desire to connect with others, an experience of wanting to laugh and play and frolic. I spoke about love addiction in episode 7 with Ariel Ford, a powerful conversation around knowing what we do and why we do it in relationship. Again, we all have some level of addiction. Just notice the gap between stimulus and response, between a negative or positive feeling and your action, or lack thereof. For all that is lies in that gap, all love all connection, all truth, let it be so. 
and open up to the possibility of conscious, intentional pivot in your life. Welcome to the Face Your Dragon podcast, where we help you, a messenger with a mission, leverage your fear to amplify your voice in the world. On the show, we open up the concept that what you are most afraid of and most resisting are the very things that will set you free. With courage, with clarity, with contribution, you can have it all. This show will engage in deep, enriching conversation with thought leaders, best-selling authors, celebrities, athletes, icons, and regular Joes who have faced their fear and are now using it to create impact in the world. I'm Brad Axelrad, and I'll be your host. In 2003, I attended my first Peak Potentials event, The Millionaire Mind, with then-founder and CEO T. Harbecker. Let me just say this, it was one of the most profound gifts I have ever given myself. There must have been 800, 900 people there. It was amazing. Our guest today, Adam Markell, filled the huge shoes of Harv in taking over Peak Potentials becoming the CEO. He started out as a litigation attorney in New York and New Jersey and began his career of service as a high school teacher. He's now a best-selling author, speaker, and entrepreneur, having shared the stage with superstars such as Tony Robbins and Stedman Graham. He's led programs for more than 100,000 people around the globe in the areas of business and entrepreneurship, finances, health, spirituality, and relationships. His latest book is the best-selling Pivot, The Art and Science of Reinventing Your Career and Life. Listen in as this champion shares his brilliance with us. Adam Markell, it's great to have you on the Face Your Dragon podcast today. Welcome, my friend. Oh, brother, thank you for having me. What a blessing. Talk to me. You've been you've been all over the place and doing some big work in your life. You know, you started out as an attorney and I'm kind of curious uh, what dragons you had to face early on or whatever comes to light for you around what were your biggest dragons you had to face? Oh man, that's <laughs> glad you just dropped me in the in the shallow water for yeah. uh, for starters, right? Yes, that's right. Oh man, dragons. Well, um I'm trying to think how far I want to go back here. I, I just by way of a little history, hopefully I don't put people to sleep to, to explain this, but I grew up in New York. I grew up in the city, uh, not in Manhattan, one of the boroughs. So uh, anybody that's from the East Coast or the Northeast in particular might laugh about that. But uh, yeah, there's other boroughs other than Manhattan. I grew up in Queens and in a small little apartment, pretty tiny, in fact, shared a, a room was probably the size of a closet with my younger brother. And uh, I grew up in that environment. I mean, the first dragon, I guess I, I was facing was just survival. <laughs> and by that, I mean, uh, you know, the schoolyard, surviving the schoolyard from uh, elementary school, middle school, it kind of subsided in high school when I, I was more involved in sports and was swimming and, you know, all that kind of thing. I mean, there was just less of a jungle, it seemed like in high school, but man, in, uh, in elementary, late elementary and, and in middle school, it was kind of like just survival, you know, not to get beat up bullied or whatever, uh, find a, a little group of people, you know, kids that you could, uh, I don't know, just be friends with and, uh, and safe with. I know it kind of sounds funny, but yeah, it was a little bit of that. I not, not forget too, too quickly that was a buddy of mine, this guy, John, we were cutting school one day and walking over a a bridge like we had gone wanted to go to see a Mets game because we we were in Queens you know I'm a Yankees fan I <laughs> I grew up not far from Shea Stadium what was called Shea Stadium back then and we were uh, took the bus you know quit, cut school took the bus to a spot where we could walk over uh, to the stadium 
And I'm walking over this bridge, my, my friend John and I, and there's a, like four or five kids coming over the other side of the bridge. And there's no place for us to go. I mean, we're going straight ahead uh, past them or we're going off the rail into the, in, you know, into the water. And so we're walking and I could just feel it in my gut. Like I got that inner knowing, that inner sense uh, that uh, <laughs> something bad was about to happen. And, you know, sure enough, these kids, they you know ripped us off, took uh took money and some other things we had on us and, you know, got a, got a punch in the gut <laughs> and then they took off. I mean, so that's not a typical day in, in, uh, in New York city growing up, but there's no question that, uh, it was part of the mix. So I, I you know, I'm going to say, why is it that that came up for me and why am I even bringing that up? It's because it, it ultimately played into a little bit of how I adapted in my life, how I pivoted in in my life to address some of the things that that were part of my early programming. And, and one of those things that I wanted to address was bullying. So ultimately, as our discussion will unfold, you'll find out I was a teacher for a period of time and pivoted out of that profession and went to school, became a lawyer and spent 18 years practicing law as a New York City litigation attorney, trial attorney in New York and New Jersey. And um, I oh, routinely took on cases of the underdog. And uh, when I was a teacher, I'll never forget, I had junior high school, I had eighth grade, seventh and eighth grade kids. And uh, and I it was a wonderful thing to do, exhausting. <laughs> great, great form of birth control at the time as well, when my <laughs> wife and I were just getting started. Um, but I'll, I'll say, when the kids were mean to each other. That was the only thing I was intolerant of as a teacher were kids being cruel to each other. And I would get pretty, I'd get pretty aggressive, man. When kids were fighting, if I caught them fighting in the hall or something, I'd break them up. It's a good thing I didn't, different times back then when I was teaching, but man, I broke them up hard, felt it. I was the kind of guy, if people were, you know, having an argument on the side of the road, uh, not that that happens all the time, but I'd stop my car, pulled off to the side of the road to go in and break up an argument, a fight on the side of the road. And then became an attorney and started representing the underdog, typically plaintiffs in employment litigation, lawsuits against big employers that had done some crummy things and that kind of stuff. And I think that, you know, now I'm thinking about it, it, it really all ties back to that early dragon uh, facing the bully and having to stand up for myself. My dad, I'll never forget as a kid on the block that in an adjacent apartment building was giving me a hard time for a good long while. And my dad went ahead and got some Everlast boxing gloves. And we were outside and he was just sort of showing me, you know, a little bit like I had a box and whatever. And my hands were pretty quick. And then one day this kid, it was uh, <laughs> giving me a hard time. He invited him to come over and put on the gloves. Like, again, my dad probably in this day and age would get arrested. Right, for this that's crazy. awesome. But he did. He asked the kid, he says, you want to put the gloves on? And this kid was only too happy because the idea that he would just like punch me a few times, you know, with my father standing right there only. I mean, this kid was smiling from ear to ear. He had like a Kool-Aid grin, you know, and he put on the gloves and we started to, to do it. And I started tagging this kid with some jabs and, and whatever. And then he was trying to hit me and I'm going, you know what? Maybe this idea in my head that if he hits me, I'm going to die or I don't know what it was, but I was just terrified of getting hit, terrified of whatever might happen. And I realized, you know, I'm not I'm not going to die. I mean, I'm taking a hit and I'm OK. I'm still standing. And you know what? I'm hitting this kid and it feels pretty good. <laughs> and it was one of those uh, that's one of those little lessons that I've uh, I've kept with me for God 
more than, more than 40 years at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting you asked me that question right out uh, of the gate. It's awesome, brother. We never know where these things are going to go. And I'm so freaking grateful to hear to hear your story. I've never heard this story. And that's some deep stuff. I mean, I certainly I had uh, some moments in grade school where I was afraid to, you know, stand up to the kids that were bigger. I was a little skinnier and smaller. And, you know, I was kind of a late bloomer physically. And uh, I get it, man. And it's so interesting. I, I forgot you were in New York, Jersey. You know, my dad grew up near the cloisters there in the Bronx. <laughs> and he would say, you know, where the East Hudson meets the uh, East meets the Hudson. So anyway, it's just it, it just flashes me back to, to here in the New York. And it's it's really, really powerful. He's no longer with us. But uh, interesting share, brother. So you've taken this forward and found that that sort of uh, that greatest fear, that greatest dragon turned out to be kind of your mission or your your outrage and you you use the energy of it is that right it it was pivotal i mean because that moment that i stood up to the bully without knowing actually was kind of funny because my dad you know kind of clever in his approach you know he didn't say to me that morning hey let's go outside i'm gonna put some gloves on you and i'm gonna invite that kid scott over (laughs) and you can and you're gonna face off against him you know you're gonna face your dragon face your bully no he didn't say that it's just the way it unfolded and there's something really interesting to that because you know in the work that i do now which is really to help people to face uh, their fears in many ways to face their dragons to be able to move in the direction of what they truly want in spite of the fear that's associated with doing something different there's a natural fear associated with changing anything in our lives and certainly there's fear associated with when we're in wanting to grow mode you know whether it's because we truly on the inside want to grow which is where i was some years ago when i i pivoted out of being a lawyer and into running a large seminar and personal development uh, training company you know sometimes we want something new and different and so that change that's that we're wanting to create for ourselves brings up a lot of fear and then there's also times when we are forced to change when the universe decides it's time for a change right (laughs) (laughs) and in that moment yeah fear is right in your grill and how do you deal with that so yeah i guess it's a very interesting uh there's an interesting relationship between fear and growth. And uh, and certainly that time when I was probably eight or nine years old, uh, I got to see that firsthand. So, yeah. Oh, it's interesting. You know, Barnett Bain, the episode, uh, Barnett Bain episode four, we talk about bullying. He released the movie of uh, uh, Milton's Secret, which was Eckhart Tolle's children's book. And Donald Sutherland, Michelle Rodriguez, like we talk all about the bullying aspect. So it's interesting that that got brought up today. It wasn't at all what I thought we'd be discussing. And I I just love that so much. So you were 16 years as a litigation, then the seminar company, Peak Potentials, which I've definitely done some of the work. It's one of the largest uh, or was one of the largest in the world. When you finally made that, took that huge leap, because that's a really big leap from law to leading a large, if not the largest seminar company, like next to Tony Robbins. How did you know that that was a fit and what did you have to, to face in that pivot? That was a huge pivot. Well, it, it began for me, it was more more of a, a pivot out of pain because <laughs> I woke up every morning as a lawyer in, in when I was actively practicing, which, uh, you know, was again from, geez, from 1994, I got out of law school. I practiced right up until, gosh, 2010, 2011, a long, long time. And um Probably 10 years into that, I realized I didn't love it anymore. And I don't know if I I ever loved it, but I was doing it because it made sense at the time. And I didn't question that. I just 
you know, we were newly married. We started having kids, Randy and I. We have four kids. I had two, we had two kids while I was in law school. And I wanted to provide for them and just give them a good life. And I think that's a lot of what I run into with many, many people is that they don't, they don't really there's not a lot of thought that goes into what they start to do in their life from high school forward. And they just sort of do things that make sense at the time, including, you know, how do I pay my bills? How do I pay my rent? How do I buy a house? All that kind of thing. And they don't question it uh, very much for a period of time. And at a certain point, I started waking up in the morning and putting my feet on the floor and having feelings of anxiety to begin the day. I had dread feelings of what it was I was going to be doing. And I can't believe this is what my life is. And ah, oh, this sucks. I mean, I'm putting my feet on the floor and kind of the first words or the thought in my head as I'm getting ready to stand up to start the day. My wife's sleeping. It's dark out. You know, I'm going to jump in the shower, grab coffee, get in the car and commute, you know, stand in line at the Holland Tunnel to get into Manhattan and do this thing I've been doing day after day. And I'm feeling like, you know, the, like the first thoughts are, are shit that like literally sh- shit. This is how I'm starting my day. That went on for a period of time. And I'm looking in the mirror and I'm seeing myself almost like I'm, I'm fading. I'm just like my energy's fading. I feel like I'm disappearing. Like heart, my heart is just not, I'm not that passionate about anything. I just kind of feel a little dead on the inside until my wife and I are driving on, on, a, on a Saturday morning and I pull off the side of the road, I ask her to get in the car and, and drive. And she's figuring, well, he's, I'm a workaholic at that point. I'm working 78 hours a week. And she thinks, oh, he's just going to start to do some work and, you know, send an email or whatever. And I direct her uh, to the hospital and I go in the emergency room and I tell them, I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. My, my heart is pumping and beating out of my chest. I feel like it's going to burst and I'm sweating and my fingers are numb and they're hooking me up with, you know, to electrodes and all this kind of stuff. And uh, literally thinking I'm not going to go home from here. I'm not going to see my kids again. I can't believe this is how my life is going to end. I mean, I'm just in self-loathing. My heart is racing you know, clearly <laughs> I didn't die that day. Doctor walks in and tells my wife and I, I'm having an anxiety attack, not a heart attack. And I, I'm a lucky man because with all the caffeine, you know, and the lack of sleep and the stress and, and really just kind of the misery of of not loving, loving life, not loving my life at that moment. He says, you know, you could have a different result in six months or a year from now. It might not be, uh, you might not get this lucky news. It's good news. So I walked out of the hospital that day and holding my wife's hand, looking up in the, in this beautiful blue autumn sky. And I just said, thank you, God. And those were words I didn't speak. I, I'm a believer. I'm not a, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not religious. And I didn't say those kinds of things typically, but that was what spontaneously came out of me. I just felt like I've been given a second chance, really a reprieve of sorts. And I didn't know what I was going to change in my life, but I knew something needed to change. And I, I feel like now what's been great is I've, I've been able to share that and share what it was I did and how I, I made small changes in my life so that I didn't have to wake up like that uh, every day thinking, you know, that this is, this is, you know, what a drag that this is my life. And uh, so, yeah, it was a big pivotal time for me. There's the saying with the, the feather, if we ignore the feather, we'll get the brick. If we ignore the brick, we'll get the Mack truck. Mm. And uh, yeah, man. So you, you knew there was a whisper and a, and a tickle for a long time, it sounds like. And then you finally, finally got the, the brick or the Mack truck. I'm not sure which one that was for you. I think I got a picture of a Mack truck. That's that's what it looked like. <laughs> so you caught it, it was, coming down the freaking lane. You saw that thing coming. 
Oh, fortunately. I mean, I ignored it like a lot of people do. I think it's that Henry David Thoreau quote that I love so much, you know, that everywhere people live lives of quiet desperation. And I, I love it because it, it, cap, it, it encapsulates, I think, why the world is in the state of misery that it's in, you know, the mediocrity and the so the lifeless listlessness that you see, why it is that people need Ambien to go to sleep and need something else to take to wake up. Um, that's not an accident. And it's not it's not a it's not a judgment either of us individually. I think just as a, as a world, as a world, we're tolerating that. And on an individual level, it's not the government or a politician or a political, uh, you know, party's responsibility for that for that state of misery, that that's our own, you know, that's for us to change. That's our accountability. And uh, so, like you said, I, I made some changes and ultimately took some courses and invested in, in education of a different kind than I was used to and bought some books, read some books and, and uh, ultimately wanted to help people. I, I want I mean, I realized that my roots, like inside of me, my true identity was as somebody that could empower others. Remember I told that story at the beginning about about being bullied and then wanting to defend people later on from being bullied. Well, that's that's what I'm committed to. I'm committed to empowerment and justice and oneness. And ultimately, when I learned that about myself, I said, well, what's the best way for me to really live that in the world, be that? And it's as a teacher, just not the kind of teacher I, I was in, in middle school. I, I teach adults now and, and young adults as well, not just not, not people in middle age. Um, I, I was in middle age when I discovered this. And I wish I had learned it a lot sooner. I mean, maybe I wasn't running down a road to a midlife crisis. I, I, I would have had a midlife, you know, I could have had a calling sooner than midlife. But now I work with people and blessed to have run a company that's trained a lot of people around the world in that space. So, yeah, it's, it's been a very cool, <laughs> you know, series of things. But ultimately, it's, you know, we'll get into this a bit. It's just about not being willing to tolerate mediocrity in your own life. Trusting that. Everyone listening right now is hearing all the different layers to this, right? We, we get in this sort of automatic state oftentimes or what Gay Hendricks calls your zone of excellence or zone of competence. You stay there. It's just not really your deepest heart's work. It's not your calling. It's not your passion. And like you said, we either have a defining moment that is both by either by choice or by God or by the universe. And uh, you had that with that awesome opportunity to wake up. So how long after you had that panic attack did you did you start the pivot well <laughs> that's a good question I think I started it right then because um, it was one of those moments where I just said I'm I'm not gonna go back to the way things were now I didn't know what to do and I think there's a lot of people are met with that and and because they right. don't know what to do they kind of freeze you know like well if I don't know what to do I guess I can't do anything but I, I picked up a book actually so the first act if you're asking me what was my baby and I really one of the things I teach in in the book pivot which I wrote on this topic um, is really all about what what is it that you do how do you do it what's the process and and one of those little chunk down things is baby what we call baby steps or not we call I mean it's, it's a pretty common term but we define a baby step as what's the smallest thing you can do what's the tiniest little thing that you can do as a step in the direction of what you want and for me I got a book Book, and I read a book and even that's not such a tiny step, but the tiny step wasn't reading the book. The tiny step was buying the book. <laughs> so I, I actually, that wasn't a big deal. I went to Barnes and Noble at the time and I bought this book called The Road Less Travel, uh -huh. Dr. Scott Peck. And uh, that book changed my life. 
Interesting. So once you once you got some of that, what is it? It's an, it's another perspective on life, I would say, right? You got some perspective. It was. It cleared space for me. I mean, I that book is uh, like. I mean, to me, I believe I'm a real believer in the power of books. They they have a great capacity whether you read them or you listen to them. And and ultimately, the reason I've asked I've been asked this why did I write Pivot? And clearly, it was because I wanted to tell my story. But more than that, I it started out as a memoir for our kids. I wanted I wanted our kids. You know, we have four kids, and I figured at some point. They're going to be confused <laughs> like me, like everybody at a certain point, you know, just wondering, is this all there is to my life? Is this all I'm supposed to be doing? Is this is this really why I was born? You know, things, questions that aren't are not easy to answer necessarily. And I wanted to write something where they at least could see what it was that their dad was thinking about and how it is that I worked through some of those conversations and questions that were tough to answer. And so Pivot, the art and science of reinventing your career in life started out as a memoir for them and then morphed into a way to help a much wider audience of people that were probably going through uh, the same the same questioning uh, that I went through. And, and where, where do you take it from the questioning stage into you know, getting into action, facing fear, and, and doing doing something different. It's beautiful. So before we get totally into the into how people pivot, tell me what the the transition was like from attorney to leading peak or new peaks. It wasn't peak potentials at that point. It was new peaks. You took it over and ran it for what four six years? I mean, a long time, right? Yeah, for uh, we I think we came in in late 2011 and uh, did a rebrand a couple of years later. So it was peak potentials. Then it became new peaks. And man, that was, uh, you know, it was very different to run a company than to be in the practice of law. So that very different uh, environment for sure. But I had been training around the world, training the programs and uh, had been doing that for like Mm, two years beforehand. So uh-huh. I'd gone all over and, and spoke and trained and worked with a lot of people. So the culture was something that was really close to my heart. So it wasn't as, it wasn't as big a transition from that perspective as, as some things are. And that's actually an interesting point because people who want to change their career or change something in their life that often has to do with career, often has to do with business or money. I counsel them and, and you know, in the book we teach this too is – Again, how is it that you try something new on for size? You know, how is it that you can test, in essence, whether or not you you really want to commit to a pivot, to a change? And oftentimes, the way you do that is by getting in there and trying something, you know, trying something different. So uh, I have a lot of clients that start businesses on the side, you know, create a almost like a little plan B while they're still working on their plan A. I'm not the one that to ever tell people. I don't counsel people to jump ship. I know that's more dramatic and there's, uh, you know, from a standpoint of what what's, you know, more interesting from a story point of view. Uh <laughs> You know, quitting your job, moving to Fiji, uh, you know, I don't know, any any kind of a drastic change is exciting, but often there's great risk associated with doing that. And yeah, do people do it? Yeah, absolutely. And do people succeed doing it? Absolutely. I just feel like they're the outliers. They're the ones that are outside the bell curve. And other people, when they take really great risks, there's two things that happen. Usually in one of the two, either either it doesn't work out and they and they get banged up pretty good or what more often than not happens is because they feel like they have to burn burn the ships. They've got to push all the chips into the center of the table. They've got to really commit at such a high, high level, like 100% uh, or nothing. They ultimately do nothing. 
because the fear of what it is and what it will mean for them to fail at their pivot, a fail in a new business or fail in a new job or fail in uh, anything, changing changing where you live or, or something re- related to your relationships, the fear of failing and, and all that comes with that, you know, the shame, the embarrassment, the loss of, of money, et cetera, just stops them from ever doing anything. And that that's the brutal reality. And that's the hardest thing for me to see, actually. I so get that. It's uh, taking that leap or what I like to say is standing in the gap. So in between your comfort zone and the new way of being or new way place of living or new employment or whatever it is, there's that gap that's really intense. And if you won't stand in the fire long enough, you, you tend to do what Bob Proctor, what people typically do, what Bob Proctor says will hit their terror barrier and go right back into bondage because it's safe there. So they think, right? So they take the leap, they go all in and then they'll back it off and, and go back to a job or something that they hate. Right. And I, I, I've seen it too. And it just breaks my heart when I see folks that will, will do that. They finally get the courage and face their fears long enough to take the leap and they go back to employment. Now I get it. Some folks have kids like yourself. I mean, four kids, that's a lot of pressure. Burning your boats probably didn't make a lot of sense. You had to kind of ease into it as my guess, right? Absolutely. You don't have to burn your, your boats. That's, that's the point I think we're all, we're, we're both saying. I, I tend to actually lean more towards getting people to burn their boats and just work 80 hours a week if they need to, to get their, their platform live. But uh, just because I know what it takes after having been in the space for 10 years, it's not easy. It's not an easy space that we're in, it's, but it's worth it. It's very worth it. Yeah. I, I think there's a difference between, you know, burning your boats in something you're committed to and burning your boats in something that is where you're not 100% certain you're going to be committed to it. And that's the, you know, to me, there's a distinction. That is a good one. Because anything you do is going to require you to be 100%. You're going to have to be present and you're going to have to work hard. So there's no, there's no free lunch in essence, but, but here's the deal, right? And I use this as a, an analogy. I'll share it with you now. We, we, we have a house in Cape Cod and there's a bridge that we drive over a body of water. And, and a couple of years back, we saw that they started to build a second bridge alongside the first bridge. So we asked somebody what was going on and they say, oh, you know, it's one of these army Corps of engineering things. They think the bridge is going to fall down in the next big storm. So we're going to build another one, you know, so time, you know, years, money, millions of bucks, they build a second bridge. And I think, wow, this is the greatest and, you know, greatest example of a pivot to me, the way I look at it. You, you don't necessarily have to tear down the first bridge before you build the second one, right? Because what would you do if you tore down the first bridge? Now, now I mean, think about the urgency. Yes, this great urgency. You got to build that second bridge, man, because you can't get across. <laughs> or you can do what I have done and what I, we've, we've counseled and taught a lot of people how to do through the book and through some of the programs we, we lead is that you can continue to drive over the first bridge, take care of the first bridge while you're building the second one, which is what the Corps of Engineers did. They built the second bridge. And then it was so hysterical because right after they finished the second bridge, they, you know, they tore down the first one. And I was like, all right, that's fantastic. <laughs> and then like six months later, we noticed they're building again. I'm like, what the heck are they building? It's like they're building another bridge. So then I had to go, all right, so this is, this is who's got this contract and who got paid off. And you know, it's gotta be some graft involved. I mean, it was ridiculous, right? They go, no, 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 you don't understand. The second bridge, the one they built while the first one was, was, you know, they were worried about whether it would keep standing. They built that one as fast as they could because it was a temporary bridge because they were concerned that first bridge wasn't going to make it. 
they built the second one as a temporary bridge. And the third one they built was the permanent bridge. And I thought, man, that's also just like pivoting. You don't pivot once and you're done. It's not like going to make one big pivot in your life or one, you know, change one thing and expect that you're going to be good forever. Pivoting becomes a habit. It becomes an art form, really. It's never sort of one and done as far as my my experience is. You're going to continue to pivot the whole way through because it's it, in the end, all any of us are after is 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 our is growth, right? To be the the highest version, the, the best version, the highest expression of ourselves is an evolution. And pivoting is evolutionary. It's innovative. I know the word pivot in some way uh, has this connotation of failure, like that if the business didn't work, you pivoted. And if this position didn't didn't take, you pivoted. Uh, but we use it in almost like with basketball, how a basketball player is able to pivot on one foot and turn 360 degrees around. See, the whole court get greater vision to be able to then make a pass, take a shot, do something that is offensive uh, versus just strictly, you know, kind of holding that ball for, you know, for dear life and defense, which is, again, seems like people hold on. They hold on to this safety. They hold on to the status quo with both hands for dear life out of fear. And and the problem with that, of course, is that in the end, you know, yeah, they, they may lead a life that's pretty safe and they get to ultimately be safely dead. And uh, I know it sounds extreme, but that's that's our view on the subject, you know, and and I and just back to what you were saying earlier, anything that gets in the way of you living into that highest expression of yourself, we have to root out. And ultimately, you and you and I both know this fear is probably the biggest of the things that that's there stopping people. And you got to root it out So anything that we can do to grease the wheel and get rid of the fear, even if it's, again, what seems wasteful, which is to build a second bridge or a third bridge while the while the other one's still standing. Hey, it gets the job done, then then it's effective and and <laughs> then it make could could make sense. Uh, it's so it's so valid. All these points are so valid. It makes me think of the uh, all the bridge talk. It's, it's got me thinking of the John A. Shedd quote: uh, "A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built." For. Mm. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. So I'm with you, man. What a what an awesome awesome way and visual to uh, get folks to take that one small baby step like you said it's key we we like you said we go into we go into freeze we don't even go into fight or flight we just go flat out go into freeze if there's too much trying to eat the elephant whole you just can't do it so i'm with you man building it concurrently i do want to challenge the there there's something i call geographic healing meaning you see a lot of folks that'll bounce from one thing to the next like the spontaneous persona in myers-briggs or a dopamine addict who's just from running to the back of the room to buy stuff and they're not thinking, just jumping from one thing to the next or one location to the next or one business to the next business or whatever it is without staying in it for the long haul. And I, what I mean by that is I feel that many pivot a little bit too early as Greg Reed says, three feet from gold, right? Mm. Or Napoleon Hill, I should say, but Greg Reed's really his book, Three Feet from Gold. So how do we know when we should pivot and, and how do we know when we should stay the course and it's just a tough week or a tough month or a tough year or a tough quarter? Like when should we stay in and when should we exit? Yeah, that's that's the question. And w- what a wonderful question it is. And it's so personal. So I'd be lying if I said that there's a uh, there's right. a formula, you know, there's a formula <laughs> right. for that. That'd be that would be bullshit for sure. Um, but what I can say that I think is really authentic for me and my own experience is that 
it's a self-awareness exercise. I mean, when you wake up in the morning, if I felt dread, I felt anxiety. I didn't have enthusiasm about my life when I started the day. So to me, I look for symptoms. And so some of the symptoms that I would say people who are listening to this might might be looking at, and, and we have an assessment. We actually uh, have six questions that help people to identify whether they're in a pivot or whether you know there's a pivot coming that they're just not kind of focused on or, or where that might be. We And so at the end, I'll, I'll give folks access to those six questions. But for me, this is about being real with yourself, being present with yourself, being honest, really honest with yourself. If you wake up in the morning and you're not enthusiastic about what you're going to do for the day, I wouldn't ignore that for very long. I, I just think that's a sign. You take t- take notice of that. You know, if you have trouble sleeping at night, you, you get up in the middle of the night where you have trouble getting to sleep, uh, that's a sign. That's a symptom to pay attention to. If you're easy to anger, I mean, anger is a huge issue. And I mean, I see it all the time. We, you just look on, on what's going on, on on airplanes these days. Seems like everybody's having a like having a cow and losing it. And um, anger is anger is a symptom. Resentment's a, a symptom. Being in judgment of yourself, of others is a symptom. Lack of energy is a symptom. The need for coffee to keep yourself going during the day or chocolate or whatever, that's a symptom. You know, crappy relationships, relationships that break up is a symptom. Being unhealthy in your in your your physical body, you know, overweight is a symptom. And uh, and these are personal things that we just have to take a look deeply at and 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 not be in judgment, but say, hey, what's there to, to be noticed? Uh, because once you start to ask questions like that, where you just simply want to understand better why it is that your life is the way it is. When you ask those better questions, the universe will always deliver you a quality answer or an answer that's commensurate, that's going to you know, be of the same quality as the question that's been asked. In fact, it's a universal law that you can't ask a question and not get an answer. I mean, it's cause and effect. So one, one doesn't exist without the other. And, and I think one of the things that's been interesting of late to me to discuss with folks is that uh, there's a tendency to not ask questions that we don't know the answers to. I think that's been trained into us from the time when we were in school and maybe with our parents and things where uh, asking questions was not not exactly always you know, rewarded. And when you ask questions that were difficult or questions that were the why version, you know, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to brush my teeth? Why do I have to do my homework? Why do I have to go to school? And people would just say, because I said so. Because you're, you know, because uh, whatever, because your teeth will fall out if you don't. I mean, we got some answers that weren't weren't exactly inviting us right. to continue to ask these these uh you know, you know, make these inquiries into our life. But if you have the courage to ask a question that you don't know the answer to, what's great is that over time in the universe's time, not your time, but when the universe decides it's time, you'll get an answer. And that answer could well change your life. And that answer could come to you tomorrow because frankly, you know, listening to this, being intrigued by what we're discussing and and wanting to kind of explore deeper into yourself, what it is that's going on and why and, and what might you know, where, where, where your growth edge might be, uh, is, is just, uh, it's life changing exercise. What I'm hearing in all of that is I pray that everybody wakes up to a deeper sense of courage and, uh, you know, you're right. It's it, that deeper why will be found if you're asking the right questions courageously and, and not afraid to look bad or share your imposter syndrome openly, all that stuff, just facing it. And that's really key. Good. Or be humble, right? Yeah, that too. Yeah. Yeah, instead of knowing all the answers, right? Isn't that what, what you're really suggesting there? 
Exactly. It's the it's the beginner's mind, the apprentice mind, the child's mind, the inquiring mind. It says, I don't know everything, right? I, it's humility because as adults, that's what we're, you know, that's what we're paid to, to, to know it all. And we're taught through school as well that, you know, knowing something gives you security and not knowing brings about insecurity and fear. I am stoked to be in this conversation. And one thing that comes up for me as, as I'm hearing you share is a drum that I beat a lot in a lot of the episodes. And that's really about finding that passionate place and not needing alcohol to take the edge off or caffeine to wake up. Those are two things that I find are some of the most toxic neurotoxins on the planet. It's amazing they're legal. Folks will skip breakfast and go straight into a stimulant all the way to lunch. Like that cannot be good for you. There's no way. And there's studies that show that it's good. There's plenty of studies that show that it's bad. Just depends on what you want to see, I guess, and what your addictions, uh, or what I say, chasing the dragon will provide ease for you. So I I just want to challenge all the listeners to sort of face these ways of being or ways of eating or physical exercise or lack thereof, like you were alluding to earlier, that is brilliantly said it. It's a symptom of something deeper. And it's almost always that you're not in your zone of genius or in your calling. You're you're self-medicating, anesthetizing. That is key. So this is probably even rubbing some of you wrong as I'm saying this. And as you said, you know, I'm not judging. I judge all day long. I kind of take Byron Katie's stance on judgment. We're always fucking judging as humans. That's just what we do. Part of our survival mechanism. So I'll judge all day long. Look, if you're drinking alcohol every night uh, or every time you go to a party to feel at ease, that's a fucking symptom. Look in yourself and find out why you're not comfortable in your in your skin. Something deeper is going on. If you're exhausted in the morning, find out if your adrenals are beaten up. Take some adrenal capsules. Take something to offset your fatigue, but don't keep hitting the coffee. You're going to end up in the freaking hospital like Adam was regretting doing that. So I just want to challenge you on that. All right. So pivot, unless you want to comment on that, Adam, you got any comments there? <laughs> no, you said it, buddy. <laughs> right, <I'm> cool. <laughs> so people pivot. So how do, what, what are you up to in the world exactly? And how does everybody uh, find you? What, what are you doing? Cool. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're beating the drum of pivot. I mean, that's, we, we're out there speaking and, and introducing this this work the these concepts to as many people as we can which is uh which is a wonderful blessing for us because we feel it's really timely at the moment it's we're living in very disruptive times as we all know and people are pretty pissed off on one side of the aisle or the other especially in north america um, and don't know what to do about it and to me what's great about the book pivot and and the work that we're doing is it's really at, at, at its root it's about self-responsibility it's about taking accountability for your own life and our our desire really is the root of why we're doing what we're doing is that we we're called to create peace that's the sort of the the thing that we're building everything on is the foundation that we want to help people create inner peace and in being worried about money worried about your job worried about your health or your relationships or any of these things that we we obsess and worry about and we're like you say self-medicating to uh, uh to sedate to get to get away from these are these are areas that take us out of our peace and we're living in a world where we need peace i don't i don't know that anybody's going to argue that point and so but we're not looking to change governments and uh, that's great do everything you can you know, to make a difference every day in any way that you're able to. But the first place that we point people to is with themselves. Instead of it putting it on someone else or or judging, uh, not not that I don't judge, uh, but it you know as, as a as a way to spend your time, as a way to use your your own your own energy and resources, work on yourself. 
Uh, you know, Gandhi said, "Be the be the change," right? Uh, because that your piece becomes the piece that you share with everybody, everybody in your world, your own little world. You know, and and ultimately, if enough people were selfishly, quote unquote, selfishly working on themselves, working on creating peace in their own bodies, in their minds, in their spirits, in their hearts, in their souls, our world would hit a tipping point. Uh, where it was a more peaceful place. And I believe that's the direction we're going in anyway, despite whatever whatever we see on the news and, and read, et cetera, to the contrary. So, you know, I'm, I'm real optimistic about that. And we just love the opportunity to be of service in this area where we, we feel like it's a pretty relevant topic. It's beautiful, man. It is very, very timely, no doubt. You know, I pray that everyone gets some courage to pivot. So where does everybody find you? You can do that in a couple of ways. You can go to adammarkel.com. So my last name is spelled M-A-R-K-E-L, adammarkel.com. And what's great is there's resources there. So you've got our podcasts and blogs and things like that. And uh, you can even find out about the book. I mean, Pivot, The Art and Science of Reinventing Your Career and Life. You know, you can go on Amazon. You can get more information. You can even listen to a little audio excerpt of it uh, that's on our website. So I think that's, as I mentioned earlier, on the website, too, there's a place for you to get those six questions. If you're curious, and I hope everybody at a bare minimum is curious about, you know, are you in a pivot at the moment? We believe there's two kinds of pivots. There's a design pivot and there's a default pivot. And so one is the thing that comes to you, you know, when you least expect it. You lose your job or you get some kind of a health you know, situation, news, et cetera, or somebody leaves you or dies or whatever, that's a default pivot. Things are going to change. Um, and then there's the, the, the other pivot, which is where you're just not wanting to live a mediocre life or a life that's less than, than really you're capable of, of living. And you want to design some change and utilize change for its, uh, for all, all its capacity. Uh, but in either event, we think the, this place to begin is with these six questions to kind of identify where you're at on that website, adammarkel.com, you can uh, you can put your name in and uh, and we'll send you those questions and, and you're off to the races. Hoping everybody gets over there and uh, dives in. Uh, you know, the ex- excerpt of the book was so powerful sharing that story of your of your heart attack. And I, too, ended up in the hospital one time and, and was scared to death. Like, oh, my gosh, I overstressed myself to a heart attack. I'm 43 years old. How can this be? And it was, uh, it was a big pivot. So I pray that everybody gets over there. All right. What is one final tip you've got for all the Dragon Tribe here and the listeners that uh, you can leave them with? I'm going to give them one ritual. So I, one of the things I love to teach about is the power of rituals. And ritual to me is not a religious thing. It's a sacred thing for sure. Uh, it's a master habit. It's a conscious habit. That's why our podcast is called the Conscious Pivot Podcast. And uh, actually, you're going to be a guest on that, Brad. I'm excited about that to hear about your pivot story or stories and the rituals that you, you know, your practices, your conscious practices, the conscious habits you've created uh, in your life to sustain you. And uh, and so I'm going to give everybody a conscious practice that they can start tomorrow morning. So the first part of the practice has got three steps to it. The first part is you wake up. <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully. everybody <laughs> everybody listening is going to wake up tomorrow. But the reality is funny as, as that sounds. The reality is that some people will not wake up tomorrow. I don't mean just metaphorically. I mean, there are some people who are kind of like walking zombies for sure. Uh, but even just physically, uh, there are people when you wake up tomorrow morning, and you take your first conscious breath. You could you could also be aware of the fact that the people all over the world are taking their last breath in that moment. And that's a sacred awareness to me that there is something to be grateful for right then. 
it doesn't matter. Maybe things are shitty for you right now. Maybe things aren't the way you want them to be. Maybe things are great. But whatever's going on or some variation of it, we have to be grateful. It's in every recipe ever created, whether you go to, you know, pick anybody, you know, from the beginning of time forward that's that's motivated, inspired or helped other people by their example, by what they, they've taught to live a better life, it's going to involve gratitude. So you wake up. That's the blessing. You're grateful for it. That's the next piece of that blessing. And the third part is you stand up and that's incredibly I mean, that's a blessing, too. Not everybody can do that. But you you've got your feet on the floor. You're grounded. And if you can stand up, then you do that and put your hand on your heart and say, I love my life. And that's the third part that you declare out loud that you love your life. And uh, it is very powerful in so many ways that we won't have time to get into now. But just you do that tomorrow and then for 21 days, which is the sort of the first hurdle in creating a new habit, not a master habit yet, but a new habit begins and forms in 21 days is the science behind that. Um, you declare those words, even if you don't feel them, even, even if you don't believe them, there's something magic that you'll see that will start to happen for yourself because your mind will, will go out of its way to prove you're right. It's the function of the mind to keep you safe is to be right. So it will prove that you're right. And you'll see that happening. So again, whether you love your life or you love life at the moment or not, I invite you to try this on for size. And uh, all I can say is if you start it, this is and this is where tough love, your tough love, my tough love comes in. You know, start it and complete it. If you commit to it for 21 days and don't wimp out, you know, on the seventh day, there's nothing to wimp out here. This is this is only for your own your own growth. So if you if you love it, keep doing it. Don't quit. And either way, if you commit to it, just finish the process and, and see what happens. So, uh, yeah, that that would be my gift. Just that morning ritual. First, uh, you know, first 30 seconds of the day, really. Really, really powerful. That morning ritual. But like you said, the first 30 seconds, it's, uh, it's incredible. Adam, it's been awesome having you on the podcast, brother. I'm so grateful you joined, man. What a blessing. Thank you for having me. Really, really great. This is going to be a good one. I heard some really, really good nuggets in here, and I'm excited to create some context. Okay, brother. Talk to you soon. Be well. Enjoy Costa Rica. <laughs> Gracias. I want to thank our guest for sharing his heart and brilliance with us. Thank you, Adam Markell. We're all so grateful for your contribution to the world. You can find out more about Adam at adammarkell.com. And as we dive deeper into facing your dragon, I want to offer the opportunity for you to discover the number one hidden fear stopping you from earning what you're worth. Be sure to take the one minute quiz at couragequiz.com. And if there's something here I mentioned that you want to review again, keep in mind we keep all the notes for you, including links to everything we've talked about today. You can find the show notes for this episode at faceyourdragon.com forward slash episode 013. And finally, I would like to invite you to subscribe and leave a five-star review for the Face Your Dragon podcast by visiting faceyourdragon.com forward slash subscribe. Be sure to share this episode with your tribe on social media if it was useful for you. We'd love that. And join our conversation in the Face Your Dragon Facebook group as we talk more about your greatest fears being the very thing that will set you free. Tune in to episode 14 because I'll be talking with my dear friend, the amazing Coot Blackson. His story is insane. Wait until you hear about how he took his big leap to Los Angeles all by himself at the ripe age of 18. <laughs> wow. 
We discuss how your addictions are keeping you from your true joy and happiness and why it is so important to listen to your inner guidance more than anything to create the results you really want. This incredible being and many more on the Face Your Dragon podcast. See you on the next show. And remember, when you face your dragon and take the leap, you will break free.